Welcome to Center Ice. I'm Mac Vincent here with Matt Vernon. I want to give a quick shout out to Adam Robillard for designing us a sweet new logo and rebrand. We are working on getting the show on iTunes and it should be there in the next few days. So anyway, let's get to it. We had a big trade that we haven't talked about yet. And Matt Duchesne is on the move. Matt Duchesne gets dealt to Ottawa. And now this is a complicated deal. So let's simplify it for you. Ottawa gets Matt Duchesne. Nashville gets Kyle Turris. Ottawa sends Shane Bowers, who was drafted in the first round of last year's draft, Andrew Hammond, and a 2019 third-round pick to Colorado. Nashville sends Samuel Girard, Vladislav Kamenev, a 2018 first-round pick, and a 2018 second-round pick to Colorado. Now, before this deal was made... The Avalanche were asking the Predators for Matthias Ekholm, but since they're a cup contender, they did not want to do that. So let's let's just talk about this deal. I mean, I think it came off as a bit of a surprise that it escalated from Colorado wanting Ekholm and maybe a deal not happening to all of these players involved in a three-way trade, which was kind of briefly talked about, I think, by some of the hockey insiders and all of a sudden, Nashville realizes that they can get Kyle Turris out of this, and it makes perfect sense for everybody. This is one of those deals that it's hard to dislike for any of the teams, isn't it? Yeah, every everybody gets something that they want. And um, one thing I would like to mention, it actually was Ottawa's first-round pick that uh, Colorado got. Uh, Nashville only gave up the second-round pick when it came to draft picks. But um, each team got what they wanted. Each team... Uh, was able to gain from this trade in some way, and it'll be a couple of years before we see how it all plays out. But right now, it's pretty interesting. I haven't seen a three-way trade since what the John Scott trade a couple of years ago for the All Star Game. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. But like you said, um, both teams kind of get what they wanted. And I think if you're an Abs fan, and I know we have a couple of them around here at Algonquin. Um, I don't think you need to worry about Samuel Girard. This this guy's pretty solid. Uh, it really remains to be seen what type of defenseman he turns into. But I've heard like maybe he turns into like a Sammy Vatanen. And I think if you if he turns into a top four, you're pretty happy with that, right? Well, he's already playing in the NHL, I believe. He yeah. had a couple games under his belt this season already. And uh, this guy's really young. He's a uh, he's a good puck moving defenseman. He's the, the the new breed of defenseman that we're seeing in the NHL, and I think he's going to be able to stick around for a while. At the very least, he's already a bottom-pairing guy. He's he's really young. He's not even... I don't think he's even 20 yet. So he's got room to grow for sure. It's, it's going to be a, it's going to be exactly what Colorado wants. they got a young defenseman that can play in the NHL right now. I guess one question that I'm wondering is, after this deal is done, does Colorado continue to shop maybe guys like Varlamov, have they kind of made a decision that they really want to keep a guy like Gabriel Landeskog? I, I feel like Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen, and obviously you've got Gerard now and Kamenev, they're starting to build a core because that's kind of what was missing. Where does Tyson Berry fall? Because he had a really impressive start to his career, and since then he's kind of been, you know, good, not great. 
Yeah, I've heard a couple rumors. There was rumors over the summer. Uh, New Jersey was looking on them. They were kicking the tires on them. Um, I know a couple of other, other teams have been interested in uh, in Barry. He's a uh, he's a little bit strange. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a good solid defenseman, but he's not your. He's a good top four defenseman. I'm not exactly sure you want him to be your number one defenseman. They've got uh, they've got Eric Johnson there. He's a uh, He's a good defenseman too. He's uh, pretty solid. I'm not 100% sold on his contract, but he's he's a really good, uh, rugged two-way defenseman. And with Barry there, I think you can get a lot for him. I think they're uh, they've got Gerard now. They're trying to rebuild. They've got actually some decent young defensemen there. So if they're if they're trying to tank this year, I think they do go for Barry. They try to get rid of him, see what they can get for him, because I think they can get quite a lot for uh, for a good defenseman like that. Yeah, that's a great point, and I did want to mention that the Avs started out hot, and they've really cooled off lately, which was to be expected, let's be honest, but um, I think really what what they've done with this Duchesne trade is, okay, now it's time for the next wave. It's time for Nathan McKinnon to be that first-line center that you want him to be, and I think McKinnon this year has showed that he can be that, and he's working on that two-way game. Uh, last time I saw him at the, uh, I think it was the World Cup of Hockey he played at, yep. he was very impressive. Like, not only offensively, but I noticed the, the two-way game was really starting to develop. And I think uh, the coach, I think his name's Jared Bednar, I want to say, yep. um, has done a nice job with really not much on that roster. So I think I have to give credit here to Joe Sackick because I wasn't sure what was going on here. And everybody was wondering, when's the Duchesne trade coming and what is he going to get? And he's done his job here. And now it's up to his scouts to do their job. And if they can make the most of those picks that they acquired, I mean, basically you've got five players, no, six players potentially out of this trade. And I don't know. I mean, I think you have to give them credit for a job well done. Um, I really like this trade for Nashville because they actually have a second line center to take some pressure off Ryan Johansson, where I think a little bit too much was expected of him because really after Nick Benino and Callie Arncroft, they didn't have much up the middle and Nick Benino is a comfortable third line center. That's what he is. I think he's actually out right now though, isn't he? So they're, uh, they were hurting a little bit there. They, uh, they definitely had to address that. And I think an interesting thing here with Turris is this is the second time he said that, you know, he wants out. He seemed he seemed to be really well-liked in that Ottawa community. And, you know, I, I've seen lots of good things come out about him after he left. But, uh, you know, I really wonder if in two, three years, Kyle Turris says to Ottawa, sorry, to Nashville, maybe it's time to move on. But you know, he, he got the six years and $36 million immediately after they acquired him. So, obviously, Nashville really likes him. Um, so, we'll see how that works out. But he got his first point last night, I believe. And, uh, and I think it's a nice move for Nashville because, really, you didn't give up kind of a surefire NHLer. You gave up prospects and you gave up draft picks, which is fine especially for a Stanley Cup contender. And you didn't give up Matias Akholm, who's a really good top four defenseman. Um, 
but yeah, that's just uh, some interesting stuff that happened. And I think there's probably more deals that are going to come. And I think this might be the year where you see these trades happen kind of before the trade deadline and not just before, like before trade center, like well before, because teams don't really want to wait. They want to get something. The contenders want to get something. So why, why would we wait till the trade deadline? Obviously if it's a big player, sometimes it makes sense because then you have a bidding war. But other than that, I think uh, the trade deadline doesn't really mean a whole lot anymore because teams are making trades before and even some trades after the trade deadline. Yeah, we're, uh, we're starting to move towards the offseason is the big time for trades. I know um, not quite as much this past offseason, but definitely last offseason when we saw all the big moves. But uh, that's a big thing you mentioned there. Trades aren't really happening at the trade deadline. You mentioned Johansson. Uh, he's now Nashville's number one center. But he was on Columbus, and I don't think that trade was around the trade deadline. I think it was a little bit before. But we're definitely starting to see the NHL move towards that. And I'd like to point out, um, this trade has a couple of different, um, I guess, meanings to it, depending on what team you look at. With Nashville, they're getting their number two center. They're getting Kyle Turris, a guy who's, uh, who's a really good player. He's a great center. I uh, I met him a couple times while he was here in Ottawa. He's a he's a great guy. He's great in the community. Um, that's exactly the type of player that Nashville is looking for. The atmosphere that they have down there, and uh, they didn't give up a whole lot. You mentioned they gave up the second round pick, uh, Sammy Gerard and Vladislav Kamenev. Well, Gerard's a defensive prospect, and uh, Nashville. If there's one thing they have, it's defense. Giving up a defensive guy like that, it's not a huge loss for them when you look at who they have on their team already. And then uh, Kamenov, he's a good player, but um, they're getting Kyle Turris. They're getting their second center that they need. And uh, for a team that was in the Stanley Cup Finals last year, it's hard not to look at this as a major win. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, we wanted to mention kind of the Hall of Fame inductions that happened over the weekend and just get into a bit of a discussion here because now that the newest class is officially enshrined in the Hall of Fame, we thought we would take a look at some of the hopefuls for 2018 and make a case for them. So Matt and I each picked two eligible players we feel like should be in. I think everybody knows that Martin Brodeur is going to be there, no question. But other than that, there's some really tough choices to make. You've got a lot of guys that really did something for hockey, especially for their teams, and a lot of guys with some really impressive career accomplishments. But in case you missed it, Mark Recchi, Timu Solani, Dave Andrichuk, Paul Correa, Jeremy Jacobs, Danielle Goyette, and Claire Drake all got inducted this weekend. And I think we can agree that all of those people are very well deserved in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm glad they all got in, aren't you? Absolutely, without a doubt. We saw it with um, with Solani and, uh, and Correa there. They're just two guys that are loved in the NHL and uh, we've unfortunately been missing out on uh, on Korea since he retired he's been um, he's been kind of out of the public spotlight he's uh, he's still around there is a great TSN uh, TSN document on it uh, I think it was called surfacing if you haven't if you haven't watched that definitely go take a look at it it's um, it's a great look into the private life of, uh, of Solani and we've kind of been, or sorry, on Korea, and we've kind of been missing out because 
Korea was just such a good player. And he's he really helped grow the sport. And uh, it's just really unfortunate that we, uh, with what happened in his career and that, we haven't really been able to get him in hockey's kind of limelight. And uh, it's nice to see him and uh, and Solani there at the uh, induction ceremonies and that. And it's great to see hockey being able to welcome Korea back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, we've talked about this briefly before, but obviously Korea had a lot of difficult experiences, six concussions. And you can't imagine how those would affect you on a daily basis. So he really stepped away from hockey. He didn't really communicate with anyone. And he made it clear that, that he didn't want hockey to let these headshots continue to happen. And, you know, he said that the next, the time that I feel that the NHL is really starting to make an effort to control these headshots and protect their players is the time where I'll kind of be back. And I don't, I'm not sure if he's back, so to say, but obviously we've seen him a little bit lately not only he did the documentary i don't think that's something that he was willing to do before and you know he got inducted to the hall of fame and he was talking to a lot of people this weekend did a lot of interviews so that's a good sign uh but you know i think if he wants to there's certainly so many opportunities that he could have i think paul korea would do a great job as like a color commentator and maybe an analyst if he wanted to do that but we'll we'll see what happens because i think it's i think we both agree that it's not really safe to say that the nhl has done all they can to protect the players i think i like what uh what's been mentioned lately where anytime there's a hit to the head there's a penalty handled out yeah i think that makes a lot of sense i'm not sure why we haven't seen that happen yet but i think it should so anyway, um, Matt's got two players, and I've got two. Uh, so I will let Matt get the ball rolling on this one for two players he should he feels should be in the Hall of Fame this time next year. Well, my starting guy is Alex McGillney, and McGillney is one of those players that you either loved him or hated him. He um, he kind of played with negative connotations throughout his career. Um, this is back when Russians were just starting to get a notoriety in the NHL and McGillney was one of the guys that kind of helped pave the way. He um, he had a great career. He finished, he was well over a point a game. He had 1,032 points in 990 games. He was a member of the Triple Gold Club. He won World Juniors in 88, I believe. Uh, sorry, World Juniors in 89, Olympics in 88, and uh, he won the cup with the Devils in 2000. And this is also a guy who led the league in goals back uh, with Buffalo. He had 76 goals in 77 games. And that's just huge. Like, uh, McGillney was one of the offensive superstars of the league um, for a number of years. He was over 1,000 points in less than 1,000 games. He was just a great player. And um, I really think for a guy who was as offensively gifted as him i really think he should be in the hall of fame and the second guy that i have is maybe a little bit more underrated but i'm thinking kimo timonen deserves to be in the hall of fame uh timonen if you didn't know played 16 seasons in the nhl he uh had 
571 points in 1108 games uh, as a defenseman of course his career unfortunately he had to retire he had uh, blood clots in his leg uh, slowed him down a lot in his final season with Chicago he's actually able to win his first Stanley Cup so um, really good for him there he is also a member of the Triple Gold Club and uh, he had four Olympic gold medals so, or sorry four Olympic medals so uh, this is one guy who was just all around really good um, he was a big part of the Philadelphia Flyers and Finland's defense cores so I mean this is a guy that was just a solid player all around and I really think he never got the respect he deserved I'm not sure if he will make it to the Hall of Fame but I think he really has a case for it and it'd be nice to see him get in yeah, those are those are some good examples. Uh, the two that I picked, the first guy I have is Pierre Turgeon. I mean, 515 career goals, over 1,300 career points, a five-time All-Star. He's the highest-scoring player eligible, but not in the Hall of Fame. It may not happen next year, but I think it will happen eventually. And I think just from the numbers alone and over 500 career goals – definitely deserving and the second guy i have is maybe a guy that doesn't get a lot of mention is theo flurry i mean he won a stanley cup he had over a thousand career nhl points and you got to remember that when he came into the nhl he was one of the shortest active players i mean this guy wasn't five nine he wasn't six feet he was five five and now that he's kind of been out of the game for a little while we now know about all the issues he was going through. Despite all those issues, the guy won a Stanley Cup and finished with over a thousand career points, which is pretty remarkable. I think most people that go through those kind of issues see their careers derailed and their life starts to fall apart, but he continued to fight and obviously hockey was something he was incredibly passionate about and putting the skates on and going out there every day really brought a positivity to his life so that's kind of the second guy I have and I just wanted to mention a few of the other hopefuls obviously you have a guy like Daniel Alfredson you have Martin St. Louis um, there's some others like Bernie Nichols some people feel Don Cherry and Jeremy Roenick should be in John LeClaire like the list goes on and on even Curtis Joseph hasn't got in yet so it's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna be really tough for some of these players that are kind of finishing up their career to say, okay, I'm I feel I'm deserving to be a Hall of Fame player and get in because there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of guys that are kind of around that a thousand point mark and they've had nice careers, but you question whether you you know reserve the hall of fame for the greatest the elite or you're starting to let in those guys that you feel really made a difference and i think two examples of guys that you're not really sure but maybe are not only those two guys that we mentioned you know st louis and alfredson but in you know two three years what about patrick marlowe the numbers aren't great we've mentioned some of the personal accolades that he has he hasn't won a cup so the question really is does the hall of fame continue to be for a guy like pierre turgeon or do they open it up and they consider some of the things that these players did for the game of hockey 
And I mean, that's always the question because it's like this in every Hall of Fame. I think the Baseball Hall of Fame is the toughest yeah. to get into by far. It is absolutely reserved for the elite. I mean, I've been there once, and it is unbelievable reading about all the statistics and contributions the players that made it in made. And there's lots of guys that deserve to be in and aren't in. But, you know, that's another conversation. So that's a little fun segment that we kind of came up with. And um, there's also something cool going on right now. I don't know if you've seen this, Matt. There's voting on NHL.com for the greatest moment. Yeah, I've uh, I've seen the advertisements for that and uh, taken a look at a couple of them, and it's uh, it's interesting to see what they're uh, they're classifying as options for the greatest moment. Uh, some of them haven't been exactly stellar, in my opinion, but obviously they they had they really had to narrow it down. So uh, there's a couple of really cool uh, cool moments there for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not sure if it's in. I haven't had a chance to really sit down and take a look at the the website and the voting. But for me, the one that I remember, at least in my childhood, and just thinking about just a guy that just waited so long. And I love the call on it. And after 22 years, Raymond Bork. It was just unbelievable. Like, I'll always remember that. I'll remember the call. I'll remember the scene. And you could just see how happy he was because this guy was unbelievable. One of the highest scoring defensemen. And he wasn't going to win a cup with Boston. And then he gets traded to that amazing Colorado Avalanche team. That defense, by the way, was absolutely ridiculous. But And he wins it. And just... I don't know. That's one that I'll never forget. There's obviously a lot of others. And I would encourage you guys to take a look at some of those moments on NHL.com and voting. It's kind of a fun thing that they're doing for the NHL 100. Um, so, yeah. So, for this moments list, is it is it just goals or is it, like, other things too? Because when I think of my top three moments that I've witnessed, uh, they've all actually come pretty recently, which was kind of because the players they grew up watching are coming to the end of their careers. But the three biggest for me are probably Ryan Smith retiring and watching the farewell that Edmonton crowd gave him. Uh, Solani and Jiggy uh, skating around the ice. That was uh, that was really emotional for me. I, I grew up watching both those guys and it was a, it was a sad, or it was a bittersweet moment seeing seeing that final lap around the ice. And as a Devils fan, um, the Adam Henrique's game winner against the Rangers uh, in overtime, the uh, Henrique gets over. Those are probably my top three. So uh, the way the voting works on NHL.com for this is you've got the heart region. So, for example, this week they're doing them by rounds. So I think um, it's it's like a round, it's like a tournament. So. If one moves on to round four, it has a chance to move on to the semifinals and the finals eventually. So, for example, here are the ones that you can vote for for the heart region. In 1988, Mario Lemieux scores five different ways. In 2002, Scotty Bowman wins his ninth cup and retires. In 1983, the Islanders win their fourth consecutive Stanley Cup. In 1976, Daryl Sittler has a 10-point game. And I think it's pretty cool. I really like 
kind of the fan engagement that the NHL is encouraging after really being kind of a boring league for fans for a long time. So I would encourage you guys to vote on them. Let us know on our Facebook page some of the greatest moments you've experienced or, you know, l comment, leave a message, etc. Um, and that is at Center Ice AC, by the way, on Facebook. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of our Hall of Fame segment discussion. We had a lot of fun with it. Matt Maynard will post a couple players he feels like should be in on our Facebook page uh, probably tonight or tomorrow. And uh, let's let's move on to some other things. I wanted to talk about the Boston Bruins because really, I don't think people realize how decimated with injuries the Bruins are. We hear a lot of talk about the Anaheim Ducks and their injuries, and they have a lot of them. But the Boston Bruins have David Backus, David Krejci, Adam McQuaid, and Ryan Spooner all out. Now, just so you understand... That is $19 million out. So Boston basically has called up prospects, AHLers, career AHLers to fill the void since they have, I don't know, just over 50000 in cap space and about $2 million after placing McQuaid on the long-term injured reserve. Basically, Boston right now is a one-line team. And somehow that first line of Marchand, Bergeron, and Pasternak, which is just an amazing line, it by is the way, one of the better lines in the NHL, is able to keep them in games. And I think their goaltending has done a good job. But I don't know if Boston, even when they get these players back, because they were due for a regression, is Boston a playoff team? I think with the division they're in, there's always a chance. I've, I'm not a huge fan of the Atlantic. I think it's one of the weaker divisions. Uh, or not really weaker, it's one of the more wide-open divisions, at least. Um, there's always a chance, but I think right now we're seeing uh, it's Tampa, Ottawa, and Toronto, and Montreal is starting to make a little bit of a case for themselves, but I don't really see it happening. It's basically a three-team race for first in the in the Atlantic between Tampa, Ottawa, and Toronto. I really don't see Boston. I didn't see Boston having much of a chance to begin the season, and with all the injuries they've had right now, uh, looking at their lines, I really don't see it. They're, uh, I've got their uh, their daily face-off page open here in front of me. So obviously they have their first line. Then after that, they have three fourth lines, or so it seems. They have D Danton Heinen, Jordan Schwartz, and Anders Bjork uh, as the second as the second line. It's that wouldn't be a bad fourth line. Now, their third line is Tim Schaller, Riley Nash, and Noel, or Noel Achari. That's not a bad fourth line. Now, their actual fourth line is Matt Bolesky, Sean Corrali, and Frank Vetrano. And it's impressive to me that they have Matt Bolesky on the fourth line, even while they're decimated with injuries. That just kind of goes to show you how interesting that contract they gave out was. Right, and that, that's, I was going to mention that because that contract really screwed them over. Imagine if they had the extra money from not signing a Bolesky, right? I think Bolesky's almost four mil for for a guy who's basically a borderline NHLer. He's and playing. He had a career year with Anaheim, and very. It seemed like at least the chatter that I heard when he officially signed with Boston is not many teams were convinced. 
No. And Boston was like, oh, let's let's get him for the for the Boston Bruins hockey. He's rugged. He plays hard. And you know those those guys that play hard and they score goals. Usually they start to fade out around age 30 or over, and Bolesky has done that in the worst possible way. He's not even a serviceable NHLer at this point, and the only way that he's able to stay in the lineup is by using his body. He's he's on the fourth line of a team that's absolutely decimated by injuries, and they've got three more years of him. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if, like... Maybe when uh, some of the, those contracts come off the books this summer, if they just make the decision to buy them out. It's, you look at who's taking up the biggest chunk of change, and all of them are locked up for at least three years. Um, obviously, um, there's a bunch of these guys that deserve the money. Uh, Krejci, Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn. Krejci's contract might be a little bit much, but he's, he's a good center. Um, and then you start to look at Bacchus. Bacchus, I really like him. I liked him on St. Louis. I liked him when he was at the Olympics. Um, he, he fits Boston's play style. That's why they gave him that contract. But $6 million for a guy that was playing 3C for them, I'm not sold on it. And they've got him for four more years. Uh, this is a guy who's 33 already, so he's going to be 37 when that contract's coming off the books, naturally. And then Bolesky is being paid $3.8 million for the next three years. And he's 29 right now. Um, it's rough for them. They don't have much cop space to begin with. They've got some young guys on defense they're going to have to sign soon. So it'll be interesting to see what they're going to do to try to figure something out when this cop situation comes up. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I'm not really sympathetic to the Bruins because they did this to themselves. They doled out all this money to all these veterans and guys that were kind of questionable signings. And especially, not only do they did they dish out the money, but they dished out the term. And the term's the big thing. Right. And this was before teams kind of stopped signing these free agents to really long contracts. I think these were some of the last few, and there's still some that you see today, like, that teams are regretting. So, so often you will see, unless it's a real premier free agent, that they don't give them more than five years. But Boston had no problem doing that with Bolesky and Bacchus, and it's coming back to bite them. So it's hard to feel sympathy for them at this point. You know, it would be different if they managed the cap right and they signed certain guys and they had, you know, 10 guys on the injured list. That's different. But, you know, you, you made your bed and now you have to sleep in it. It's as simple as that. Yeah, the biggest thing for Boston is they've always been a really top-heavy team. I like their defense. I like their top line a lot. After that, they were pretty weak to begin with. So with these injuries, it's just it's just emphasizing how weak they were after that first line. And the fact that their first line is still playing well is just a testament to how good it is. But you can't rely on them. Pasternak, Bergeron... And Marshawn can only get you so far. If Boston wants to make some noise, they're going to have to figure out what to do. I don't think they can break that lineup, but they need to get scoring from elsewhere in the lineup. And playing fourth liners, a lot of these guys are young. I think Riley Nash is the youngest, or sorry, the oldest, and he's like 28 out of all those guys that we mentioned playing. And so a lot of these guys are young. I'll give them that. But a lot of these guys aren't marquee players a lot of them were were later round picks they don't have 
too much high-end talent playing outside of that first line. So they've got to figure out what they're going to do here if they want to compete in the future. Or else, Is Boston going to have to rebuild? I mean, yeah, I think they are. I think it makes sense to keep guys like Chara, obviously Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak. But other than maybe, you know, McAvoy and Bjork and obviously Rask, like I look at that team and I don't really see guys that I would say, yeah, I want to keep this guy around for the long haul, you know? So we'll we'll see what happens, but this really leads into a discussion about our bottom five, top five this weekend. For me, Boston's in the bottom five because they're a one-line team right now. And as good as those guys are, it you simply can't win in the NHL like that today. There's too much depth on, and there's too many good teams that even if you outplay people, if you get outscored, you're going to get beat. And these third, basically third and fourth line guys are taking a pounding from NHL second and third and fourth lines and they're losing games and it's not Tuka Rask's fault it's not Anton Hudobin's fault it's the fact that they're playing with basically an AHL roster aside from the proven guys that we've mentioned so that you know that's one of my bottom five and I have to keep Edmonton there I just Obviously, you put them in overtime, and Connor McDavid is probably going to win you the game no matter what. But other than that, like, the defense looks terrible for me. I don't know if you saw some of those goals that they gave up the other day, but all of them, just the, the positioning of the defenseman, the effort level, it's not there. I wasn't very impressed with that. And you see the goals that they're giving up, and Cam Talbot has absolutely no chance on them. And sometimes I saw from Talbot, I'm not going to be too hard on Talbot, but sometimes he looks a little disengaged there because, I mean, kind of similar to what Carey Price is going through this year with Montreal. Like, he has no defensive help. You look at that Edmonton team right now and you say, the only guy that's been solid defensively is Adam Larson. Yeah. That's about it. And that... To have one of your six defensemen playing well every night is is not not very good at all. New Jersey has played Edmonton, um, and McDavid won the game in overtime. Um, but it really is exactly what you said. The defense is giving up really good looks. It's not the fact they're giving up so much a lot of looks, it, but it's the chances that they're getting. Taylor Hall scored from right in front of the net. He got his own uh, he got the rebound that Wood had for him and uh and just tucked it because there's nobody near him. You mentioned Adam Larson there. Uh I know that obviously I'm a Devils fan. I I love Adam Larson and uh so I was keeping an eye on him during the game and he played really well. But uh but like you mentioned, there's there's a bunch of guys that aren't. And uh I love Clefbaum. I uh I think he's a really good defenseman and he's young too, so I think he's going to be really good in the future. But I haven't been noticing him. He's uh, he's not really he's not really giving me reason to sing praises for him. Yeah, I mean, offensively, it's well established that he can move the puck and he can shoot the puck. But just some of the decisions he makes, you know, when he's playing, they're very questionable. And you like, I don't think he has that excuse of saying he's still working on that two-way game. This guy's not 19 years old anymore. You got, like, this is a tough situation for Todd McClellan because really 
this is kind of a crossroads for the Edmonton Oilers. Not only did they overshoot and kind of overestimate what they had, but now you've got an issue, obviously, with the players' confidence level, other than a few of them. You've got an issue with the defense. I, I'm not sold on the bottom six forwards. They recently recalled Jesse Pugliarvi, who I think probably should be in the NHL. I'm glad they did that. And not only that, but you have Andre Sakara out, and you don't have much cap space to work with. So Edmonton's got a situation on their hands right now, and I'm not sold on the job that Chirelli's done. No, I think... I think that it's it'd be hard to find somebody outside of the Shirelli family that likes what Shirelli's done so far with Edmonton. I uh, I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter and Facebook about how Edmonton needs scoring wingers. Do you know what Edmonton had when Peter Shirelli took over? Yeah, yep. they had scoring wingers. Now they don't. I wonder where they went. <laughs> but it, it's it's funny because now I'm seeing talk about who Edmonton is trying to shop. They're trying to shop. Uh, they're trying to shop Jokinen, who's playing. He, he's on a dirt cheap contract, so you can't say too much about that. But he's playing below expectations. They're trying to shop. Um, who's the who's the Russian winger that they have? Slepishev. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. They're trying to shop shop Slepishev, and there's a bunch of other guys that Edmonton's looking at moving. Without trying to address the issue that maybe it's not the team and maybe it's Peter Shrelly? Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a great point. And I think the spotlight will continue to be on the Oilers and continue to be on Shirelli. And you have to wonder when, when he really has to start worrying about his job. Because really, other than winning that Stanley Cup in Boston – and when he won with Boston, the NHL was very different because the salary cap was high and all of the teams that were contending, they had a few young players, but they were mostly veterans. Almost every team was filled with veterans at that point. And obviously you had Tim Thomas, who was basically playing the best hockey of his life and yeah. it was practically unbeatable every night. So... Obviously, he built that roster, and I think he probably got lucky with some of those guys. Who would have thought a guy like Tim Thomas would make it all the way to the NHL? If you've heard his story, it's pretty remarkable. But anyway, that's that's something that we'll continue to talk about as the season goes on. And then I've got uh, Florida in there as well. And I think Florida's kind of similar to Edmonton because you've got you know one or two solid defensemen you know, maybe a few more than that. You've got an old goalie, Roberto Luongo, who's, I think he's playing pretty well this year, but, you know, he's always injury prone at this state of his career because, you know, that's just how it is. And James Reimer is a expensive backup that they seem to think can be the starter. I'm not convinced about that. And you look at the offense. Basically, you've got Huberto, Barkov, and um, and the last one there is Trocek. Right, Trocek and the Russian guy they brought uh, in. Dadanov. Dadanov. Right. Yeah. But other than that, I don't look at that team as an opposing team and say, there's a lot of guys that scare me that I really need to worry about shutting down because they have all their money tied up in defensemen. Yeah. 
and I don't think they have a lot of cap space. And they've clearly stated, like, Nick Bukestad is a guy that we also need to talk about. I mean, this guy, when he came into the league, everybody was raving about him, his size, his skill. And he kind of had, like, a honeymoon period with fans and with the Panthers. That honeymoon period is clearly over. And this guy is almost invisible from when I've seen him play. And I don't know, like, it might be a situation kind of like a Tyler Myers where it takes him till he's 27, 28 to really figure out that he needs to play hard and he needs to contribute in, in some way to be a valuable player. But that's a guy that they really had high hopes for. And remember, they Riley Smith, Selected in the expansion draft, so he's gone. They lost Marchessault there, too. Marchessault as well, which, you know, I don't understand why they just didn't let one of those defensemen go and they would keep one of those forwards. But, you know, I guess that's a tough decision to make. And, like I said, Dale Talon doesn't really have a lot of money to play with, and we don't really know how much control he has over the team. They say, you know, he has control of the team, but that ownership situation is a little bit weird if you ask me. And then I have Buffalo in there as well. I think they've been playing better, but, I mean, still, what have you done for me lately? I haven't really been impressed with Buffalo. And I'll, I'll keep Arizona in there, but I have to say that I like what I'm seeing from them lately. It looks like Antti Ranta is finally healthy, and he's starting. I think they've got a good goalie situation now with Ranta they and brought in Wedgwood, Wedgwood. Yep. and I think that's working pretty well for them. So I don't, I don't think I'm going to have to keep them in that bottom five for long but for now i'll keep them there so what is your bottom five this week Matt? my bottom five is pretty much identical to yours unfortunately um but that's that's the way it is in the nhl sometimes sometimes it's just clear clear teams that are not performing and so obviously you've got arizona there um i didn't realize arizona has played almost 20 games they are almost a quarter of the way down their season they are on pace for eight and a half wins they're on pace for eight and a half wins. Obviously, that's probably not the case, not what's going to happen. But they're they're almost 20 games in. They have seven points. So, I mean, they've got the young talent there. I like their goaltending situation there. I like I like their defense. What's what's going on? They play really well. New Jersey's played them. I've had a chance to watch them a couple times. Um, they, they play fast. They play well. They play like today's NHL teams do. I'm just not quite sure. Maybe it's bad luck. Obviously, they're not. They're not as bad as the record indicates. So we'll see if that if things are able to turn around for them. Like you mentioned, Florida. Um, it's it's interesting with Florida. Florida's almost a better Boston, maybe, except they're not dealing with injuries. They've got a they've got a solid defense there. Their uh, their goaltending situation is not ideal. It's a one A one B kind of thing. But both those goalies are capable of being starting goalies. Maybe not great starting goalies, but obviously Luongo's. Uh, twilight of his career and uh Reimer's not the goalie that he used to be kind of but he's, he's still up there he's still a capable goalie and then it's the forward it's the forward depth that kind of scares me because they've got that great first line they've got a uh, Dadanov, and uh from what i saw jugstad he's not putting up the points but he's really noticeable last night he's a uh, he's a big guy he's six foot six he's really good on faceoffs. Scored a goal last night, just being right place at the right time. But that—that's what comes when, when you have that experience that he has. He's a big guy, stands in front of the net. He knows his role. He's only 24, right? 
So obviously his numbers haven't been as great as they were to start his career. He had a really good couple seasons to begin it, and since then it's kind of gone down. But I think he'll be able to keep being a decent guy. Even if that's just a 35-point-a-season player, he's a really good two-way guy. So to me, to me, I think it's a... Uh, it's, uh, Try to find offense elsewhere. He's not the guy you're going to get it from, but he's able to contribute. Yeah, so, I, you know, I, I wanted to continue talking about Arizona. And from what I'm seeing, I've watched a few of their games, and I think this is a team that fights hard till the end, but I think they're so young, and, you know, they've got a really new group there. They're still kind of getting to know each other. They've got a new head coach. They're really learning to play in those tight games. And, Remember, in these tight games, one mistake could be the game winner. And I, I see them making these little mistakes that eventually lead to goals. Like you have a 3-2 lead and then you cough up a goal when, I don't know, the other team has the goalie pulled for the extra attacker because there's just a lot of inexperience on that team. But I think they're a team that's going to be in a lot of those games, so they better figure out how to win those games. Yeah. And they, I think – sorry. I think they they made the right call trading for Jalmerson. I've watched Connor Murphy play for the Blackhawks, and I think Jalmerson's still the better defenseman from a defensive perspective. Um, I like what they have there on the blue line. Um, obviously, you've got you know a guy like Chikrin and some developing young defensemen, but I think the forward group is pretty good. Obviously, I would. Clayton Keller is unbelievably good. I mean, there's no mistaking that. This guy just seems to be... He's already a star. Yeah. I like. Yeah. I, I was saying, you know, before the season started that I think he's going to have, like, a Mitch Marner-like impact. And he's a better player than Mitch Marner. Yeah. He, he just is. So, you know, they have, they have a really good one there and maybe a future captain if they you want him to be. You know who he almost reminds me of? Arizona Coyotes legend Pavel Datsuk. Oh. Now, obviously, that's very high praise for him, but I'm talking Arizona about... Obviously, obviously, I'm talking about his playing style here. He's a, <laughs> he's a shifty guy. He's From what I've seen, he's good defensively. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's really agile. Um, maybe not the magic man that Datsuk was, but he's he's got good hands on him. And... Uh, when it comes to playing style, that's who he reminds me of. Maybe not impact and legacy wise, but I think I think Keller's def he's already a star. He's yeah. he's on a terrible team and he's playing excellent. Yeah. He blew me away when I was watching him. And uh Wow, this kid is special. Yeah, absolutely. Um so let's let's move on to the top five on on a more positive note. And I think both of us probably have the same or similar top five, but we wanted to talk about these teams and talk about what we're seeing. Number one for me is Tampa Bay. I mean, I, I can't really say anything about them that's negative right now. Everything is going right. They made the right trade. Sergeyev is has been outstanding. And, you know, Stamkos is back and healthy. Hopefully that continues. Him and Kucherov, and they're basically carrying Nemesnikov on that line. And he's just kind of picking up points, playing with them. He has played pretty well, though. And, yeah, he's, you have to give him credit. He has played pretty well. Um, and just the forward group, the, the four lines are just very impressive, and I don't know if any team has that kind of forward depth. Like we talked about, Ryan Callahan is on the third line. Like 
I think Tampa is the best team in the NHL on paper. Yeah. And uh, second, I have Columbus. Uh, I don't know if you saw the save Sergei Bobrovsky made the other <laughs> night. It was absolutely in ridiculous. Yeah. 2-on-0 breakaway, and he looks down and out, and he just reads the play perfectly, and he does the splits and stretches out the pad and basically denies a sure goal. So not only do they have Bobrovsky, who might be the best in the league, but... They've got a really solid forward group. They're well coached and expect them to be in that elite category pretty much all season long. St. Louis is still there for me. Um, I haven't seen any kind of decline from them. If anything, they're getting better. And remember, they don't have Bomeister. They don't have Berglund. Imagine when they get those guys back. And I think I'm going to put Nashville in there now, not only because they've got Kyle Turris, but I think the last three, four games, they're really starting to become that powerhouse again where they hold on to the puck all the time. They've got the great goaltending duo with Pecorine and UC Saros, and they're outscoring their opponents. And I think Philip Forsberg has had a bit of a slow start. Same with Ryan Johansson, but those guys are starting to get going now. And I think Nashville will probably be a top-five team for the foreseeable future. And now and last I've got Dallas because like I mentioned previously they they've got the goal scoring, they have the forward depth. Their forward depth is very good as well by the way. Uh the defense is I think the real really the only concern at this point because Ben Bishop has been good. Uh the game I watched against the Winnipeg Jets the other day, um John Klingberg was a turnover machine like he was just giving opportunities to Winnipeg. He had a dreadful first period. I think you're playing that guy on your number one pairing. You can't have that happen. It's, it's as simple as that. And Klingberg is still working on that area of his game, but it's not. it doesn't require skill or ability. It's decision-making. You have to make the right decision and throw the puck up the boards as opposed to throwing it in the middle. I mean, these are bad turnovers that would just make Ken Hitchcock go crazy. And I can imagine that after every game when he's playing like that, he's hearing it from his players, he's hearing it from Hitch that, hey, we need you to be better. You can't you can't do that. We can't play you on our first line pair if you continue to do this. But I think Dallas We'll probably have an opportunity the trade deadline to solidify that defense. And you've got a team there. Ben Bishop's a great goalie, and you've got a backup, Kari Lettinen. So uh, there's a lot of good things going on in Dallas right I now. I think Dallas is one solid top four defenseman away from making a lot of noise. I, uh, I was really sold on the defense to begin with the season, but I'm starting to kind of see the flaws in it. I saw the argument with Flyers fans a couple years ago with uh, when it came to Gossespierre how turnovers come from having the puck a lot and when you look at the league leaders when it comes to turnovers you see all the star players there carlson is up there a lot uh you see a lot of good players who lead the league in turnovers mostly because they have the puck so much but like you said when it comes to klingberg these are simple simple mistakes that he's making it's his case isn't so much that he has the puck all the time as to why he's making these. It is their decision-making when it comes to him. He's playing with an elite team. 
I think right now he's the leading scorer for defensemen. I'm pretty sure I checked this morning. He's the leading scorer for defensemen, or he's uh, he's at least one of them. He's top three for sure. This this comes a lot from playing with that offense that they have. Now, Klingberg is a very good offensive defenseman, but um, he really needs to, to get his head together. I think he's a he's a he has the opportunity to be a stud. He's got the offensive side there already. He's able to get the mental mental preparation secured so he knows like which plays to make in his own zone and i think he's got potential to be one of the better defensemen in the league in a couple years so it'll be interesting to see how uh, how dallas does and especially if they do get another defenseman how uh, how things go for them this season yeah and i think not only that but you've got mark Matho playing on that pair he can't do everything for you but he's gonna help he's gonna cover up a lot of those mistakes but if they're blatant turnovers he can't help it's it's pretty much as simple as that so I think Klingberg, obviously he's having the offensive success early on, but if I'm Klingberg, i got to be thinking, okay, maybe I aim for 40 points and I clean up the defensive game a little bit and not 50. Yep. I mean, Dallas just can't afford to have Klingberg kind of hold them back in that regard. So so those, those are our top five, bottom five. Um, did you have any differences there, Matt? Uh, for my top five, I actually do. I've got Tampa, obviously, number one. Uh, I mentioned they're probably the best team in the NHL on paper, and obviously right now they're the best team on the ice. Uh, there's no denying that. They've got an incredible team there. St. Louis, uh, since I've been able to watch them, they've been really good. Uh, they're solid all around. There's no weaknesses when it comes to St. Louis. I, uh, I was a little bit worried about some of the young guys they had playing, but they're proving me wrong. And now my third team is actually Winnipeg. Uh, Winnipeg, they've got Connor Hellebuck, and he's playing exactly like Winnipeg would like. They brought in uh, Steve Mason this offseason, and Mason's actually not playing well at all. But uh, they wanted a goaltending battle. It's not really there, because Hellebuck's just taken the job and ran with it. He's uh, He's got great save percentage, he's got great goals against average, and he's doing well in the win column. Uh, all around, their offense is high-flying. They've got a great, a great offensive core, and a lot of young guys there, too. And their defense is solid. We've, uh, we've wondered for years whether the defense is going to be what's able to lead them into the playoffs. And it turns out that it's not. It's going to be an all-around team effort. Winnipeg's playing really well. Um, and I'm excited to see them this season actually live up to their poten- potential that they have. Yeah, so that, that rounds out, like I said, the top five, bottom five discussion. We've got four games on the schedule tonight. We have the Devils visiting the Blackhawks, the Oilers visiting the Capitals, the Lightning taking on the Ducks, and the Sharks taking on the Kings if you're up that late. Uh, what, what are you looking for in these games tonight? Um, for me, I'm a Devils fan. Surprisingly, it's not the Devils game. Uh, I'm looking forward to Edmonton and Washington. These are two teams that have a lot to prove. Washington's not playing as well as people expect them to, and that's the exact same thing with Edmonton. I think it might be a clash of the perceived Titans tonight. Yeah, that that should be a good one. I don't think Lightning Ducks will be very entertaining if you're if you're planning to watch any of these games. Uh, if I'm up that late, I'll definitely watch the Sharks and the Kings because they play a very similar style. Uh, they've got great goaltending. They've got exciting defensemen like Drew Doughty and Brent Burns, and uh, that should be a close game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Um, I think San Jose has. Had a few tough losses lately. Obviously, they got smoked by Tampa Bay the other day, but which team hasn't been smoked by Tampa Bay this <laughs> year? So 
I think that's going to be an interesting matchup and a, and a good kind of measuring stick game for the Kings, if you will, because they've shown that they can handle a lot of these top teams. And while the Sharks might not be a top team, they're very talented. They still have a lot to offer, especially offensively. They've got the goaltending, like I mentioned. I think your shutdown pair with Vlasic and Braun is very good. And uh, they've got a young guy that I like, uh, Heed, Tim Heed. Yep. He's a good offensive defenseman that seems to be fitting in pretty well there. So, uh, yeah, that, that kind of wraps up this episode. Is there anything you needed to add there, Matt? Uh, not not that I can think of, no. Be looking forward to hearing Matt Maynard's opinions on guys who should be in the Hall of Fame. It should be up on our Facebook page sometime within the next day or two. So uh, stay tuned for that. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Like we said, we should have this show up on iTunes shortly. We hope. We're just waiting for that uh, logo to come our way so that we can submit it to iTunes. But we're looking forward to hopefully gaining some more listeners. And uh, have a great day.